Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of the podcast, Med Family. I am Eric Acker, your host, with Karen. Hey, guys. So we are going to, we just said, we just decided a minute ago, we are going to try to keep this brief. Uh, <laughs> but we are, partly because we are releasing this a day late, and partly because I am on the last little hump of my uh, eight south step down unit in patient wards, and I am. He already bu- knows tomorrow is going to be. A tomorrow day. is not going to be good. Tomorrow is going to be a bad day. Well, <laughs> it's going to be a, an experience. We will get through it, and hopefully, nobody will die. <laughs> nobody will die, and it won't be. It, it, I mean, you can think of it two ways. You know, you're going to get there really early, and you're going to stay late. Because you're going to have 30% more patients than you normally do. But Let's put a number on that. I usually have six patients. I will have probably eight or nine patients. Yeah. Um, but this is happening on your long call day. So you're not I don't you're have short, to stay, technically I'm not, short call. Short call, yes. It makes no <laughs> a sense. A short call will you stay long. Uh. <laughs> so you're already going to stay late anyways. So, I mean... Realistically speaking, it could have been worse. It could have been on one of the days that you weren't on short call and you were still staying till nine o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah. It's been nice the last couple of days. I know I've, I've I've stayed late just finishing notes, and I'm not as fast as I could be on certain things. But it's nice to be like I can just do my notes and not have to worry about answering calls and having to go look at ad- admits or readjust orders or anything like that. So it's kind of nice sometimes, or having to hand off eighteen patients. You know. Uh, <laughs> Um, so that's always nice, but I, I mean, today was one of those situations where I was like a half an hour from when the night crew comes in. And so I could hand off to the, the long call, the short call person and then let him hand off my patients in 30 minutes and I can just skip off and go home. It's like, but it's like 30 minutes before the, before, you know, the night shift comes in to take out a handoff or sign out. And then I'm... The, the other, the person on short call for our team was another intern. And so it's like, man, he's already got. And it's call. his first week. His, his first off. week. This is his first short call day. And on top of that, he had like didactics in the morning. So he missed like half the day of, of rotation, which on one hand sounds nice. But the other hand is super duper stressful because like you don't get to listen to everyone else's cases. You don't really get to kind of. Um, passively follow along with all the patients and so you just get dumped on these patients dumped on you and so it can be rather tricky especially since like, you miss out on all the plans and the teaching components that we have uh, as we do our rounds and whatnot so like when we do our rounds that's when our attending like we present we give them our ideas and our plans if we have them and he gives like his ideas and then the senior chimes in with their ideas and then they develop a plan, and then you just write it down, and you carry it out. That's I mean, we're kind of the minions at this point. We just we have a working plan, <laughs> and oftentimes we're wrong, but um, and sometimes we're not wrong. Um, sometimes the plan is as simple as 
we're just going to progress the patient's diet today and maybe adjust some blood pressure medications and downgrade them to a different floor. And that's a simple, easy plan. But sometimes when it's like, well, I have a patient that's in a complete acute respiratory failure and on BiPAP and fluid overloaded and cirrhotic liver and kidneys that are failing, uh, I'll actually know what I'm doing on this patient. Like, <laughs> I think, well, the CT had pleural effusions, so I think we're just going to try to drain those. <laughs> we're going to start putting needles in things. That, that's a good idea, right? And no, that's not the right idea. <laughs> that's a <laughs> different idea came to fruition. Same punchline, though. I think the, the, the thoracentesis did happen in that particular case. But uh, in either case, you just have these like situations where you're just kind of overwhelmed. But I think it's worse when you're an intern, it's your first week and you're trying to figure everything out and then people are handing off their complicated patients to you and you just have no idea what the plan is. And you're supposed to get it from the handoff and you're supposed to kind of write it down. But usually when you hand off, you don't always do the greatest of job handing off all the details. And when you take the handoff, you don't always do the greatest job of writing down all the details. And then when you have to hand off to the nighttime person, the nighttime person starts asking pointed questions like, why are they on this floor? And you go, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> it's not, not a great answer, honestly. Um, which actually brings up a different point. Um, I've been kind of trying to take to heart. It's hard for me to do because there's a part of me that wants to try to rely on memory because there's definitely a component of this job that is like, well, you just have to memorize a whole bunch of things and you have to remember your patients and know all the details inside and out. Um, and I think that's kind of like a muscle in your brain that you have to slowly work on and not expect to get it on day one. But sorry, the point was is... It was a thing on Reddit I, I saw, and it was somebody who was quoting their attending uh, or quoting somebody who basically said, there are two types of interns. There are interns who write things down and then the interns who mess things up. And it's kind of a weird way to think of it, but it's like, well, if you don't write it down, you're going to forget things, and if you forget things, you mess it up. So if you write everything down, you won't forget it, hopefully. I mean, you could still forget things, but... If you are organized and you try to write things down, then you don't generally forget a whole lot of things. So that's why um, when I do rounds, I write everything down, when, especially for my patients. I, I, <laughs> I'm, like Anything that we say, I, I kind of make a quick note on. And then after we do our rounds, um, I immediately make this table where I write down all the, the patients' rooms and I, I jot down an entire to-do list with little boxes next to it. So I know, okay, I need to order this, this, and this. I need to check up on this. I need to follow up on this lab. At this time, I need to do this. And I need to talk to this patient. I need to talk to this family. I need to do this. So like I, I will make this giant checklist. And that way I, it's organized. And I'm trying to, like, even, like, there, there's, there's going to be time, there's times for me that I feel like there's like a thousand things coming at me at once. I have no idea how to focus on one of them. And so I might spend a lot of time just clicking back and forth between patients' charts and thinking, like, I need to do something. 
and then you think, oh, I need to order this thing. And you, so you get to that one patient and the next thing pops in your head. Oh, I need to order this thing on this other patient. And you click over to that patient. Oh, I need to check on this lab on this patient. And like, you actually haven't done any of those three things. You just have moved back and forth between patients. Um, Welcome to motherhood. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, sometimes it's nice when that's, when that starts happening to you, like just to go back to your list and be like, I am going to get this done. Check it off and move on. And it's, I mean, it's sad because some of the stuff, not really sad, but like some of the stuff is as mundane as write the note and order the AM labs. Like those are two things. I even create a separate checklist at the end of the day for the note and AM labs just to make sure I go down and all the boxes have to be checked before I leave because if I don't, that means I haven't ordered labs. I'm going to have a problem the next morning. And if I haven't written a note, that is a major problem. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's all about checklists. I, I don't know. That was something that the neurology um, attending talked about is making checklists and checking the boxes. Uh, everyone kind of will develop their own system. I'm trying to cultivate this current one. <laughs> and it seems to be working. My presentations have gotten better. I... <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow might be a disaster day, but you know, um, my presentations have improved. Uh, and then occasionally I will pull rabbits out of a hat. Um, <laughs> <whenever>. <laughs> like, so like, for example, I was asked about, uh, we were treating, we, we have, uh, there was this one situation we were looking at, um, cholodocolithiasis. We had a, we have a, a case that came up where, patient had a gallstone in the common bile duct and um, elevated white blood cell count, ele elevated bilirubin, CT scan showed uh, dilated gallbladder, dilated cystic duct and hepatic um, ducts. And uh, what else am I missing here? I think that's about it. I'm not even sure if I'm going to get the triad here, but my attending asked me like, Oh, so what does this patient have? And initially, I call I, I it's cholodocolithiasis is what we were, you know, this patient was sent to us for, and I was like, but it looks like uh, we have cholangitis. And initially, I said colitis, which you know, is not right. And he was like, colitis? He's like, oh no, no, cholangitis, angelitis. I'm not going to pronounce this right, but you, you get it. It's the inflammation of the the bio the bio system, <laughs> cystic duct system. Uh, common bile duct system. Anyway, I'm a doctor, guys. Uh, <laughs> a very tired one. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that's another fun fun thing about doctors that you it's it's interesting because when you start medical school, it's you don't have a problem doing this. Like you have a problem going one direction, but not the other. Like, and that's that's the you have no problem talking like a common person, quote unquote, about medicine. You know, like, oh, the heart thing pumps the blood and it moves it down these blood vessels to the th other things that, and you, your brain needs the blood. So, like, you're really good at talking to, like, really dumbing it down when you first start medical school because, hey, it's, you kind of know a few things, you can do it. And then you're four years into medical school and you have to start talking like a doctor. Um, and so you start having to try to explain things like the doctor. And if you're anything like me, you're not 100% comfortable with that, but you've also sort of lost your skill at talking at a different level, like at a, per a level where someone who's never had any medical training 
How are they going to understand what you are saying to them? Because you cannot use words that don't make sense. <laughs> or I, you know, you look at. I think I was looking at an ECG the other day or telemetry on on one of the monitors, and I just offhandedly mentioned to the patient's uh, family, like, "Oh yeah, he's he's in, he's got atrial fibrillation, and um, every now and then you see a PVC." And they're like, "What does that mean? Like, how do you know that?" And it's like, "Well, if you look at the monitor, it's 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 not an EKG, so you can't be a hundred percent sure, um, but." It's like you have a reg- you have a irregular rhythm right there, and it's fast. Um, and right there, you see that wide complex. That's <laughs> it's like, it was like, what do they mean? What do you mean wide complex? I was like, well, you look at these large things; <laughs> they're very narrow. But then every now and then, you see this wide thing that just shows up. Uh, that's the PVC. And anyway, so it's like you have to try to learn how to talk similarly like that to your patients so they understand what's going on because they don't understand the procedures that you do they don't understand how you're doing and you it's your job to help them understand so they understand you know they can consent um in some way to what's going on and they can feel confident that you actually know what you're doing and so then then you have to switch gears and talk like a doctor when you're presenting because if you use words like very red to describe a skin condition like I did two weeks ago, your soup, your uh, third year resident will look at you and say, you are a doctor now. You have to use words like erythematous, edematous. <laughs> <laughs> Not very beet red. <laughs> Eric got off topic, uh, but he did pull a rabbit out of hat today where he came up with his diagnosis and oh. then was asked to basically defend his diagnosis and was able to name three I, reasons why. I don't even, I don't even why. know where it came. Like, I was like, like, there's the triad. Any probably third or fourth year medical student would know this. Like, oh, what's the triad for cholangitis? And I was just like, he, my attending asked me that. Like, what's the triad for it? And I was just looking at it. I was like, okay, white blood cell counts elevated. We have elevated liver enzymes with, and then we have a CT scan showing an actual block, complete blockage of the cystic duct or not, not the common bile duct with extension or distension of the gallbladder and dilation of the cystic duct system and the common bile duct system in the hepatic duct and he was like okay that works and it was like I just pulled that out of a hat. I wasn't expecting to get even like one of them right. And I looked it up later because I was, you know, when I write my notes, sometimes I like to include those little pearls during rounds so that my attending knows that I actually heard him. And that way when someone's reading my notes, they see the process I went through. And I looked it up and I was like, oh man, I nailed it. (laughs) I really, I mean, not, not like perfectly verbatim, like not as succinct as you could be, but like I pulled that rabbit out of a hat. Because like, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know what the triad is. <laughs> I'm just going to go off based on what the patient has. And uh, I was, because I was really basing off of like patients' white blood cell count was elevated. Um, and then I'm kind of dipping back into my knowledge in general surgery where my general surgery attending was like, anytime you have a blockage where fluid gets backed up, that's where infection happens. So drainage is the best thing for any sort of infection. And so I'm thinking like there's a complete blockage of the bile duct, uh, the, the common 
the common bile duct. Therefore, there's got to be possibly an infection. And so I was kind of okay with my, my conclusion. Everything seemed to fit pretty nicely. And we were also giving an antibiotic, so it seemed like, yeah, yeah that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, there's, there's definitely times when, like, the, the medical students get asked a question, and I'm completely, like, at a loss for the, what, the, what the correct answer is. I'm just hoping, like, please answer it correctly so I can learn and it doesn't come back to me. Because, uh, you know, it escalates. Like, if one med student doesn't answer the question, the next med student gets a shot at it. If that med student doesn't answer it correctly, it's now the residence time to shine or, you know, look really bad. <laughs> there, was a few, there was a one that recently where they were like, why do we give patients ceftriaxin um, for a potential esophageal varices. He's like, okay, we're giving the patient triotide, we're giving them PPI, and we're doing ceftriaxin. Why are we doing that? And um, one med student didn't get it quite right, and the next med student was like, we're doing it for prophylaxis for spontaneous bacterial, bacterial um, peritonitis. And I'm just like, that makes sense. I remember hearing that at some point in my medical career. I just did, did not think of it. So I was like, perfect. And now that I can use that in my notes later. <laughs> Sorry. So the med students being there is actually a benefit most times. Yeah, I mean, they, I'm sure they are getting a bit of an education, and we are as well. Um, and, and a little bit of help, because if you have med students on your patients, then they write the note and you just have to edit it. Edit it, read it over. I tend to now do, this might be, I've been told to do an attestation and usually the attestation is just like I read the note and I agree with what they says. I read edits as I saw fit, something like that. But I've taken to heart to make a summary statement of what like the patient, like summarize the patient in a few sentences and like basically what they're here for what we've done, what are we treating them for? It's not a complete hospital course. It's not as detailed as that, but it's very, that way I feel like I'm showing that I've, my, I'm not just like looking at the note and going done. Like, I don't know what's going on with this patient. The med student's now the doctor. Like that way my attending can look at it and say, okay, Eric knows what's going on. He's not just read the note and signed it. Like, well, he's not just looked at the note and signed it. Anyway, so... Med students do an invaluable um, job. I, I don't know. The way the more I I think about how the med students do their work, and how like I had I had two away rotations, one of which was basically a shadow rotation, um, that was orthopedics, <laughs> and one where I was the intern or I was the fourth year medical student on a on an internal medicine team up at Northeast Georgia, like. It was hard work. Um, to, in some ways, I had it easy. In some ways, I had it hard in Northeast Georgia. So in like, I had it easy in the sense that I didn't have to present every other day or every day. Uh, and I think that is a kind of a trade-off because I was taking on six, seven, eight patients when I was in Northeast Georgia. And so I would have to write notes on all those patients. I would have to... Um, you know, present them as we went to the floor. We, everything that we, I'm doing now as an intern, I would have to do, except I, well, the only difference is I didn't have to put orders in because um, I couldn't. Whereas 
these current med students, while they do an invaluable service, they're usually only taking on like two patients. So they do the two patients, they do the two notes, they wait around for afternoon rounds, and then they go home. Which is, I mean, that's fine. They, they did their work. That's all. That's, that's what's asked of them. That's a, what's what required of them. So they, you know, they did good work. But then they are basically having to present topics like hyponatremia, how they work it up, what's the differential diagnosis, and then the other one was talking today about uh, lung nodules, how to work them up, what you know, what's the percentage of lung nodules that you see on CT scans that. Uh, result in actual cancer and so you get a lot of it's it's kind of good learning in some cases sometimes like I'm just too too stressed out to really be able to focus on the presentation but uh, today was better I could focus on it which was nice um, but it also helped that both topics were very much directed to patients I was currently working on that you know like oh I had a patient that had a lung nodule on the CT scan like let's listen to this a little bit more closely in case he has a question for me later. And this is good you know, information for me to know. Um, and then of course I had to, I, you know, just, I'm not trying to, I'm not saying I'm revealing anything about my patients because this is kind of bread and butter, internal medicine stuff, hyponatremia, <laughs> abnormal findings on CT scan. I think everyone has those sort of things. But um, yeah, I had a, uh, you know, I have a patient with hyponatremia and, how you work it up and I've had, you've been taught this a million times in med school but sometimes it's just difficult to to do it in real time when you're juggling other patients and being like oh that's right I gotta order serum osmolality I gotta order urine osmolality I gotta order urine sodium and then I gotta relook at all this stuff and interpret what it means like is this hypo tonic hyponatremia and i'm not going to go down this list i can't i can't today (laughs) (laughs) i look at a flow sheet if i'm up to date let's be honest um flow charts are the are the best but like i mean there's so many different things it's kind of part of being an intern is like taking the knowledge you had and you learned in medical school but the other part of the, the knowledge an intern is like how do you function how do you make things happen? So like you when you find transudate, exudate questions on boards for or like step one, step two, and it's like, oh, how do you, is this uh, plural fusion a transudate or exudate? And you have to calculate based off of the, um, like the protein, serum, protein, serum, um, and fluid protein, or the SAAG, the serum, I'm not gonna, it's, it's SAAG is the acronym. Um, serum to albumin I forgot um, anyways the SAAG gradient if you know what it is you know what it is and <laughs> but like in real life it's like we don't you don't just like draw fluid send it to the lab and you're good to go like it's it's a whole song and dance it's all timing you know like we Sometimes you don't want to send a patient to IR because you want to make sure that, well, you do want to send the IR to get some of this stuff done, but you want to make sure you have the labs ordered right away. That way IR doesn't just do the procedure and throw away the fluid and you have no diagnostic benefit from the procedure. So you got to order all the fluid labs. And then, but you, and then you also want to order all the serum labs because you're going to compare the serum to the fluid labs. But you don't want to order the serum labs like first thing in the morning. You know you're going to need them. Like you know when that when that thoracentesis happens, those labs need to happen. 
but you don't know when that thoracitis is going to happen. So you don't want the labs to be drawn first thing in the morning because then you're comparing protein in the serum from 5 o'clock in the morning to uh, protein in the fluid, uh, the bodily fluid, cavity fluid um, at 8 p.m. at night. Like, is it possible that you could make a good comparison and you can make a good clinical judgment from it? Probably. But is it just better to have that fluid drawn yeah. or that you know, serum fluid drawn like right after the thoracentesis? Yeah. So you just watch. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems like labs, that's not the first time you've mentioned it because I think last week you had mentioned something um, just in talking over patients and kind of working things out that you had heard one of your attendings talk about, well, you want to get these these labs drawn before we start the antibiotics so we know what antibiotics to switch them to because they were starting them on broad-spectrum antibiotics. And then once they got the lab results back, then they were going to, like... You narrow it down. Yeah, narrow yeah. it down. Um, but they knew they needed to run an antibiotic course. But obviously, if you start them on the antibiotics and then take the lab result, yeah, you could you could have killed all your bugs. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, that's something you are taught in medical school. Like, you're going to get um, blood cultures. Get if you're going to run antibiotics on someone with a possible sepsis, like get the blood cultures first, and preferably from two different peripheral IVs, not from the same one. Oh. You're going to stick a patient twice? It's better to do it that way. What actually happens is generally different. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, generally, like, that's, that's the best way. Because the idea is, is, like, if you put a peripheral IV into somebody's arm and you introduce some kind of contaminant, like, let's say, um, staph epidermis, uh, you, step, step, step epidermis, I think, um, you introduce that into the blood. Now you're drawing blood out of that IV and you're going to get the contaminant because you contaminated it on the way in and you're drawing it out. So you're basically just, you've got a contaminant batch. So there's always a possibility when they get those peripheral IVs in that you, they have introduced some kind of skin flora into the system that's going to contaminate your sample and kind of make you wonder is that bacteria really in the blood? Is it actually a bacteremia? Or is this something completely different? Is this a skin contamination? So if you do two different peripheral IVs, you have a chance that one of them is not going to be contaminated. So, and sometimes you get the labs, you get this weird assortment of bacteria that grow on them. And it's like, nah, this person doesn't have like every known bug known to man. This is a, this is a contamination. But I think we're also taught a little bit in med school, like, well, that's why you get two. And that way, if one is looking all crazy and the other one looks like normal, well, one's probably contamination, the other one's normal. But in sometimes, depends on your phlebotomist, your lab draw people, sometimes they don't draw from two separate locations. They just draw from the same location twice. And then you get two blood cultures that come back identical because, well, they came from the same blood area. Like, so, um, something to keep in mind. I learned, it wasn't my patient today. It was another one, someone on my team's patient that had a similar thing. It was like, but they both of the peripheral IVs were, <laughs> uh, peripheral cultures came out this way. And the, the attendant was like, 
That's probably because they took it from the same IV. Like, yeah. Not, not ideal. Not what you're supposed to do. So it's another fun fact of medicine is that, um, like, the gold standard is not always what's happening um, just because there's people involved, right? Like, it's not all doctors. It's not even nurses. I mean, nurses aren't, aren't bad either. Not, no one's trying to do a bad job. It's just they just don't know better. And sometimes people are doing things because they feel like it's the benefit. Like, just like your reaction there. You stick the patient twice? <laughs> I mean, that's the same reaction a lot of people have. Like, I don't want to get stuck twice. I just want to stick me once and draw all the blood. Like, that sounds like a better idea. I'd rather get stuck once than be like, okay, I stuck you here. Now I got to go over to this arm and stick you on that. And like, no, just, just take it from this side. And plus, sometimes it's hard to stick people. Like, sometimes you don't get a good stick. And so, like, once you get one that's good, you're like, I'm not going to give up and go to another one. Yeah, a lot of it depends on how hydrated they are. <laughs> that too, that helps. Yeah, but that's not, I guess, nothing I have to worry about. I just, <laughs> I just type it in and I hit enter. And I, <laughs> I used to work at a college. They used to be like, hey, can we practice our sticks on you? And it's just like, I don't really want to be a pin cushion today, but you could do two. <laughs> Please get it on the first Please try. Please get it on the first try, yes. <laughs> Did you practice on your orange? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thankfully, there's a lot of, a lot of hospitals, at least this one, has IV teams and stuff like that. So people who place IV lines and central lines and pick lines, uh, those people who are, like, that's what they do. So thankfully, they they exist. Because <laughs> uh, I would not want to, I, I think I could figure it out, but I would pity the patient that would have to deal with me trying to figure out how to place an IV on them. Like, I've done it. Uh, uh, in practice sim labs and whatnot. I've never actually done it on a real patient as of yet. So I would not want the, per the per first patient to be me figuring it out. I'd rather be kind of... Anyway, we're way off topic on this one. <laughs> um, let's rewind. Where do, we, where do we end up? How do we get on this little tangent here? Labs. Labs. And making sure that you draw them at the appropriate time. Yeah, that's another... Yeah, that's definitely another function of... Um, being an intern, being um, in medicine is just knowing how to do, how, how, how to function, how to follow up. And I'm still trying to figure out a good flow for like when to check back in on certain things, when to know th things have come back because you don't always get notified. Like you'll order all these labs and you're like, great, they're out there. Um, but then you do have to follow up on them, but you're also trying to do other things at the same time. Like I need to write my notes. And so you'll be doing that for like a half an hour and then you'll turn around and someone will ask you like, oh, they haven't come back yet. Like, oh, no, they just came back. I'm, like, oh, I'm such an idiot. Um. <laughs> I think neurology, you were doing a pretty good job of keeping on track. I think you've been a lot more pressed on this rotation and it has made you look for more efficient ways of doing things. Um, I know Eric has started adding all the different, he started creating a phone list <laughs> within, within his phone for the hospital. Like, so he can call certain departments and it's already in the phone. So he can just look it up and go. Um, because I know a lot of times he had a hard time with, he wasn't sure how to necessarily handle the referrals is, 
this somebody who I need to call? Is Do I just stick it through the computer system and it's fine? Do I put it in the computer system but call and notify them? Do I have to call a certain practice? And so <laughs> as he's been going down, he's just been adding them as he finds out. And, I mean, that's just something that you're going to learn as you go, but every yeah. hospital is different, every... Yeah, I mean the phone Specialties list is different. The phone list is nice, just so I can like I need to call PT, I need to call the lab. Like today, I had to call the lab because I was like, "Hey, I'm adding on a couple more labs to that fluid sample you got today. You still good for me to do that? Like, because <laughs> you don't want to order a lab and then like be waiting for it to come back and be like, why haven't they done that lab? And they're like, we don't have enough body fluid to do that, dude. And you ordered it ten minutes after we we used it, so. It's nice having that contact list just immediately scroll and contact the lab. I still, unfortunately, the other bit, knowing who to contact, how to contact them, is still very hit and miss. Uh, so case in point, today I needed to get a hold of pulmonology for a particular patient. And I looked at, they had this nice page printed out, all color coded, coded by the weeks, like, hey, this week, Dr. So-and-so is on, Dr. B is on this week, Dr. C is on the, the following week, all based on the color. So I look at the color, and I see it's Dr. B, and so I shoot them a message, because that's how we generally met, uh, work, is I put in the, ref uh, the referral order, and then I shoot a message with basically what, what, why we're asking for the consult, and I'm like, perfect, I've done you know, all 8 o'clock, all done, sent in. Like, this patient's pretty sick, I have pulmonology being consulted. We're good. And by like 11, nobody had responded to me. And I was starting to get nervous. I'm like, I don't understand. Um, I mean, on one hand, you're like, well, I did my job. But on the other hand, it's like, this patient's critically sick. Somebody needs to look at this and it needs to be pulmonology. <laughs> and so I started talking to the other interns and he's like, oh no, so-and-so, I saw so-and-so who's rotating in pulmonology this week and they were with this other doctor and usually only one, apparently only one specialist on for a week or something like that. And so, I don't know, I ended up like slowly adding all the residents to the chat um, that were, you know, they, so one, one, one of the interns was like, oh, this resident's on that pulmonology team, this resident's on the pulmonology team, this resident's on the pulmonology team. And I was like, okay, add, add, add. And eventually we found like who the doctor was and added the doctor to the chat. So it was just like slowly adding a lot of people to this chat with like my, my consult request. And it wasn't the doctor who was supposed to be on, on that week. It, they must've switched weeks. But, like, they didn't, of course, like, print out a whole new year calendar for everybody because that's ridiculous. And how are you going to find every page of their schedule scattered across the hospital? You're just not. Uh, <laughs> is there a better way to do that? Definitely. Are they doing it? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, that's, I mean, it's true for a lot of, like, it was also kind of hysterical. There was one... I got a message today from somebody who, I think my first week on Step Down, I had messaged about an interrogation for an ICD, and he just responded to me today. Like, obviously, I've not been waiting on this. We did something else. But it was funny. Like, like two weeks have gone by, and I'm just now getting a response. And just like, uh, leave chat leave conversation <laughs> like I don't, I don't know what's going on like it's all done we don't need and like at the same time it's like it's been two weeks why are you 
why even bothering at this point? <laughs> it's been two weeks. It might as well be two years. <laughs> three, three weeks? Yeah, three weeks. Yeah. Anywho. Um, Eric has two more days to get d- through, and then he is done with 8 South for at least a year. Yeah, I've, I've been um, blessed with this. Uh, the, uh, the scheduling gods have blessed me with two weekends off in a row. So I get to... Um, I take this weekend off, I do continuity clinic and I get the next weekend off and then I start the next, uh, admit team on Monday. And so two weekends off in a row is like a major blessing in the world of internal medicine. So I, uh, so, so the, the scheduling gods are smiling down upon me, but at the same time, I, I will have to deal with tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> so the scheduling gods also see, saw fit that two of our team members would be off on the same day. <laughs> which would, you're just leaving with a bang. <laughs> tip, our team is currently consisting of three interns, a second year and a third year senior. And one of the interns in the second year are off tomorrow. Um, as a general rule to how our team seems to function, the interns take all the patients. The third year will take maybe one or two, uh, or oftentimes will act as the senior and the senior will act as the attending and then the attending will just supervise. Um, but the, the scheduling gods have decided that an intern and a second year will be off tomorrow. So it's me and another intern and the third year are the only ones running the ship tomorrow on a 18 patient team. <laughs> and the other intern just started on Monday and he had one day off. So he's got two days under his one and a half days because he had didactics. So <laughs> he's got one and a half days under his belt on this team and he's going to have to like run the ship with eight pages. I don't know if I could have done it week one. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it tomorrow. You should ask him since he does not have didactics with you tomorrow. You should... He has to go to didactics with oh, us. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, he can, he can record <laughs> the uh, table rounds so that... You... No, we, we do table rounds at 9.30. So I've got oh, okay. it until like... 1215. Oh, okay. So he, he's not, he's not off the hook and he has to go to didactics with us. So like it's when you, when you're off service, you still have to go to your in-service didactics. But like if, when I'm on the ED, I think I'm going to have to go to ED didactics and I'll still have to go to internal medicine didactics. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So. Anyways, I think you've grown a lot during this and learned a lot during this. So. On to the next thing. <laughs> and we'll do something fun this weekend. Continuity clinic. <laughs> I'm not sure what, I think we would, something with water has been tossed around. If I can find all of our um, beach towels, I'm missing a couple. Interesting. I know. Well, there's a few suitcases in the garage that might be. <laughs> we might still be, have a lot of stuff of in interest. the garage. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so that is um, on my list for tomorrow and Friday is to get the car, all the beach stuff, find all the beach stuff and pack it all up into the car because I think we're going to try and leave early in the morning on Saturday and get there before it gets super crowded and get out of there before it gets super hot. Yeah. I know I'm popping this on you and I haven't actually prepared you for this question. (laughs) Um, But so it is almost September. Well, we just started August, Mm -hmm. but September is that special time of the year when all the uh, 
fourth year medical students are putting in their match applications. So having did that a year ago, has it, has it been? It's been about a year. Any any fun fun little thoughts? Start now. Start now. <laughs> Start now. Hopefully, hopefully you have. Hopefully your, you have started. Hopefully your if personal you statement is done. Get your button gear. Oh um, Can't imagine starting right now. No. Well, so I guess let me think about that for a second. I would really apply to anywhere that you think you could be happy and that you could afford to live. Be a little less picky on the onset. I mean, we, we were picky. We eliminated several states just because we couldn't afford to live there. Yeah. Um, New York, possibly Florida. Uh, I think we applied to a few in Florida, but not very many because of yeah. the area. We were very particular about the regions in Florida. Um, so anywhere you think you can be happy... Because when we were taught, when we went through our, our interviews, there were several that we were surprised at and we ranked higher than we thought we were going to just based off of, oh, we don't want to, we don't want to live there. And then after the interview being like, oh, that wouldn't be too bad and visiting or um, doing more research into the area. Oh, that wouldn't be too bad. Um, and several other um students said the same thing where they had applied because they felt like they needed the application, that number of applications in order to get a good number of interviews. They got the interview. And when they first got the interview, they kind of just wrote it off as, well, it's an interview. I'm going to take it, but I don't think it's on my rank list. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think it's going to be that high, but then ended up ranking it significantly higher. So don't count a program out just because of where you think you might want to live. Definitely count them out if you can't afford to live there or whatnot, but I think you'd be surprised at what some programs offer versus others. And don't undervalue their community and how happy their residents are. Yeah, and I think another thing, everyone has a different way to rank the rank list. And I, this is way early, too early for you to start counting your rank list. But uh, generally speaking, uh, a lot of people will consider like food and entertainment, nightlife, um, in the especially a lot of single people will consider that sort of stuff. Um, I will say, unless you have a program that gives you a lot of days off, I would just say like it maybe be matter. more realistic, <laughs> like. What's actually like? Because like I on this rotation, I have one day off a week. Like, what do you, how, what are your bets are that when I'm sing if I was single, not when I'm single, <laughs> surprise, Thanks, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what what would the bets be like if I was single? I would be hitting the town and getting you know enjoying the nightlife or something like. No, it's my one day off. I'm getting everything done I needed to get done, doing my laundry, I'm making food, I'm you know, doing my grocery shopping for the week, and then I'm trying to sleep and like rest because like, I'm going to jump back into the fray the next day and I'm going to be tired and I need to have the energy to get through it. So like, it, while it's nice to have great restaurants and it's nice to have 
uh, lots of things to do. Like realistically, you're going to have three years of hard work ahead of you. And you're going to have like these weeks off of vacation. You don't have to stay in the city for the weeks of vacation. You can go places, especially if you're single. A lot of these single people, you guys have, can actually afford a lot more than we can. <laughs> and we can afford a decent amount, uh, honestly. Like we're, we're go- We've gone to the zoo multiple times. We, we're going to go to something that might be with water. Who knows? Depending on if we find a beach towel. Um <laughs> I can always buy one of these towels. I just, just, I just... <laughs> but like you don't have to like you have these weeks off that you plan well well enough in advance. You can you know find a way to go see some friends or family or whatever. So I don't know. Um, I would just keep that in mind. Like maybe prioritize like the quality of the program. I mean, I think Karen hit it well. Where residents that seem to be enjoying the program. You do also want a place where you get to experience a lot of acuity. Um, I would say that's very true for this area. Um, this, I, as much as our hospital isn't like a level one trauma, it's going to be, I think, in a few years. Uh, we are a trauma center. We're just not a level one trauma. Um, but everything comes to this hospital. Um, like the nearest hospital is in Raleigh, uh, which is like an, an hour, hour away. So everything else comes to here. Um, well, there's UNC and there's and USC is uh, UNC I think is in Raleigh. Okay. And Duke I think is in Charlotte. Yeah, both both are an hour and a half to two hours away. Yeah, so we get a lot of stuff, and we're not a very wealthy area. Um, It's very diverse. I would say is like we have a lot of poor, we have a lot of rich. Um, generally when you're on residency teams, you generally get a lot of the poor. Um, we have military people, we have non-military people. We, we just get a whole bunch of, we get people who lived in the sticks for all their life and people who moved from Washington, DC. Like, you know, we, we just get a whole group of people and they all come with like very different stuff. Like we had DIC a couple of weeks ago. We had, um, I mean, you get, you still get your bread and butter, your hyponatremia, uh, I had the anterior spinal artery occlusion. Like you get some interesting things here that you may not find other places. Like, and I mean, again, like as an example, PCP pneumonia. Um, I, I think I did see it in Northeast Georgia, which you know Georgia has a lot of acuity as well. Um, but we definitely have that here. Uh, so, and I think somebody had mentioned that like Lumberton. Uh, which is a city a few miles south of where we're at, is like got the highest level of syphilis um, in the nation, which is kind of meh. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, all those board questions about syphilis, like, like you and nail you, them, and you're like, oh man, all you gotta do is treat this with penicillin, and you're done. It's like, well, there's a whole city, where we're, not a whole city, but like <laughs> a significant population of people who have syphilis. Well, testing positive for syphilis in this area, um, and maybe they've had it for decades. So now you have that tertiary syphilis. So you like really kind of stretches your your differentials out a little bit. So anyway, um. we will probably be back on track next week. Um, Eric will be doing continuity clinic, so he'll have a little bit more regular schedule. He won't be getting home at nine thirty at night, <laughs> and. Yay. Um, the weeks following, I believe he's on admin team. And so I, we are thinking that's probably going to be a little bit more regular schedule. Um, 
but again, we don't know. Yeah. So hopefully we will. Um, I, I'm looking forward to the night shoot crew not seeing me leave and go, you have five kids, go home. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Get out of here, Eric. I'm like, I know. <laughs> uh, I think if um, I can manage it, we are still going to try and, we didn't do this for neurology, but for 8 South, I think we will try and leave the nurse's station some sort of something on the way out just because you got to appreciate your nurses and yes, they have been helpful. So, um, helpful and responsive. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if we'll do that for every rotation. Um, but one baby steps, baby steps. <laughs> we'll take each rotation at a time. Anyway. Well, um, if you like our podcast, uh, like us and share us, um, or subscribe to the podcast on any of the major podcasting platforms. And, uh, if you have any questions, um, reach out to us on Instagram at MedFamilyMD, and we will get back to you. Most likely it's Eric responding. <laughs> well, Karen, let's be honest. Karen's going to be responding. Well, mm, if it's something I can Karen answer. will ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I will probably type out the response, but Eric will be the one answering your question or we will address it on the podcast. Yeah. You guys have a great week. Bye.